We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome into the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham. Data for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, Fox 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? I'm great. I feel like we haven't done this in about 10 or 11 days. Um, so felt like we had a little bit of an all-star break after the all-star break. Yeah, I kind of feel like we needed an all-star break, uh, including the all-star break. Um, of course, also joining us today, Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you? I'm doing well, and uh, the Kings Pulse podcast is an accurate description again, fellas. Oh. What? We're back at it. That will uh, get uploaded again starting. It's going to be after this pod, so there's a chance when this goes up that the Kings Pulse one isn't up yet, but we're back at it, Kings Pulse. I got a new co-host. People will see. Who is All it? Right. It is, screw it, it is Hunter Patterson from The Athletic, just covering oh. the Kings. Just wrote that story about Keegan, got a one-on-one. Um, so yeah, starting that up again. Thanks, thanks for the invite. Cool. Yeah, no problem. You wouldn't <laughs> join me anyways. <laughs> yeah, f off, both of you. <laughs> All right, uh, we are. When was the last? Course... When was the last podcast that you did, dude? Uh, like these polls. Probably not long after I got Brock onto Sackdown because with all the scheduling stuff or just all the stuff I was doing there is what made me stop it. It's yeah. Early in the year, early in the season, <laughs> early right. in the season. All right. But oh, we back season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. back. Good for you. Good for you. All right. We are of course the King's beat podcast. Uh, we are a blue wire po- podcast brought to you by prize picks. I did fairly okay with my prize picks last night. I did what? have the, the one game where, um, there was no prize picks for the Kings. They just like took all of them away because they didn't know if Demonis Simonis was going to play or not until the last second. We didn't know if Demonis was going to play or not until the last second, but um, 
Yeah, this one, I, I think I did okay. I think it went like 65 bucks last night uh, playing prize picks. So, uh, like, if you don't know prize picks, um, it is a daily fantasy sports uh, way to engage with uh, with a game in a different way. You go in, you choose more or less on players from uh, whatever team you like, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, and a myriad of other sports. Uh, for me, I'm having a really good time doing it. Uh, some folks around me get extremely emotional doing their prize picks and become huh. a holy train wreck. And I, I don't know what that's all about. You, uh, had quite a, you had quite a fist bump when the Keegan dunked the ball with like 90 seconds left of the game. Uh, I just looked back and just like, <laughs> yeah, there's my, there's my Keegan dunk right there. Um, yeah, that was fun. I, I didn't even, to be honest with you, I hadn't even looked at seeing if I had uh, won or not. I did make a very poor decision and chose less on bam at a bio points rebounds and assists that's what cost me from winning the big money uh Seems but cool. uh yeah give it a shot if you're out there and you're you're thinking about ways to enhance your uh your your sports watching um prize picks has been a lot of fun for us here at the king's beat so uh go to prizepicks.com uh you there's a link in the bio go to that link and use the promo code king's beat all one word uh, to get a, a matching uh, entry up to, I think it's up to $100 uh, for your first time. So uh, give it a shot. And, uh, you know, do they do UFC? You Can you do UFC on that? Because I was watching the UFC card uh, last weekend, this past weekend, and uh, Ricky Tercios, who play, who fights for, out of Sacramento, um, I, his fight got canceled at the last minute, but oh. I made a made a little pick them with my with a buddy of mine and I, I actually lost and did not do well i i thought that uh yeah your rodriguez would beat um uh, and i just blinked on who he lost to it'll come to okay me. sean you can do mma i'm looking at it what? right now all right you can you can you can do darts i did not know that there was competitive <laughs> darts well you could do uh, esports i could go full league of legends out here you can you do, do cricket Cricket. Brian Ortega. <laughs> Brian Ortega, by the way, he's he beat Yair Rodriguez and screwed up my pick'em. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah, you can also do Australian the MBL. Uh tennis. Wow, there's all kinds of stuff in here. I had no idea. I'm glad you asked that question, Sean. The what NBL a is what hilarious. an excellent promo for price picks. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah, even for hockey, because I don't watch hockey, you can you can choose more or less with time on ice. That's why. Oh yeah. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even know. That's uh, like minutes played. I guess. Like, Last year playoffs, I caught myself doing a little bit of hockey. And uh, hockey's great, you know. I'm not really into hockey like that. Playoff hockey's fun. I went a lot growing up in San Jose, but I, I uh, was willing. Felt good about Connor Bedard, and I had never watched him play. And I was like, holy crap, this guy is like the Kyrie of hockey, and had a great time. All right. I think I'm going to take up cricket. I'm going to start there watching cricket, competitive cricket, see if I can stay up in the middle of the night and watch it live. What's uh, the bat called? I mean, you just called it a bat. I think we could just stick with Is it? No, I think no, it's a, term. a mallet or a paddle? No, a paddle. Is it a paddle? I don't know. Oh. Now you got to look this up, This Sean. is what people are here for. I got a show to run here, Sean. All right, let's let's dive into uh, the basics. If you're watching here on YouTube and don't mind, give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you're not a subscriber to the show, jump on board, become a subscriber to the King's Beat. 
jump on board with the kingsbeat.com. Go there, become a premium subscriber so you get all of this sent directly to your inbox and uh, all of the writings we do here as well. So uh, join us here at the King's Beat. Um, we got it's a lot just of a bat. Just a bat. It's just a bat. I okay, tried telling you. Well, you it's know, just a bat. we have to fact check you a lot because. Okay. Whatever. Okay. It's right. a wild sport. And I, like, I need to understand the rules. I'm going to have to reach out to my man, uh, Ali Thanawala from NBC Sports. He, he's my cricket expert. And maybe he can walk me through all of the dynamics. At one point he did, but I have forgotten some of them. So it's one of the, I do watch a lot of soccer, but uh, not a lot of cricket. So let's dive into this thing. The Sacramento Kings are a little all over the board still, but uh, just when you think they turn the corner, they show you that maybe they haven't. Um, let's start with Sunday win over the Clippers. And this to me was probably one of the better games of the season for the Sacramento Kings. I still think that the win uh, right at the all-star break over the Denver Nuggets was probably their best win of the season, but the win against the Clippers, a team that had beat up on you a couple of times this year that you really hadn't competed with, uh, who has four hall of famers sitting there staring at you and you walk in there and you play a really hard fought game, probably the most complete game of the season for the Kings. We'll start with uh, we'll start with you, Sean. What what were your thoughts on the victory at Crypto Staples whatever they're calling it right now? Yeah, I mean it was a it was a game where you could tell the Kings were they were absolutely on a mission. Uh, they were on one. They were they were had the right kind of mindset from the jump, and it's because this Clipper team had beat them, you know, and. Uh, kind of handedly and they wanted to kind of get back into this season series. And I feel, I felt like they treated it like a must win situation. I thought defensively they were fantastic. Um, uh, I, I really enjoy watching deer and Fox get pissed off. I like watching Demona Savonis get pissed off too. I feel like when each of those guys get to that type of level, uh, the team responds very well. It's not just them that respond well. Probably more in the case of Domanis when 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 Domas is really pissed, uh, the team really kind of brings it. Uh, they 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 ratchet it up a notch, and uh, that was a game to me where you know Fox really just uh, just unleashed a fury, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and then it turned into offense on the other side. So uh, I think Mike Brown talked about how much he loved the physicality talked about. He thought that might've been the best physically defensive win that they've had. I mean, he, he kind of gave the the win in Denver, maybe a little bit more of a nod because they were able to overcome so much adversity and poor shooting in that game. So I can understand that, but um, yeah, I think it just came at the right time. I think, especially at a time where this team has really been showing a, a fire about it, both going into the all-star break and coming out of it. Um, they've tinkered with some things, I think gone small quite a bit. And some of the things that they've been able to disrupt teams with length and physicality, stuff that they've struggled with immensely this year and uh, kind of found a little bit of a solution, if you will. So uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that win. I thought it was a big, a big time win for them. And it just shows you what this team is capable of. I mean, I think the big storyline coming into that game was, there was so much talk post all-star break from Mike Brown and the players, a clear emphasis on improving the three-point defense. 
for the Kings. They're around 20th in defensive rating on the year. Mike Brown sits there and says that if they were even average, slightly above average, they'd be around eighth in defensive rating. And the Clippers were a top two team in knocking down the three ball and albeit no Paul George. He's a very big part of that. Right. And it's an important caveat, but the Clippers only knocked down eight of 27 from three, just under 30%. It's those quick rotations. There's been a lot of emphasis on the details of closeouts, making sure you're not always flying by stopping soon enough, fully getting into a guy's body. They have their labels of hot guys, not hot guys and what warrants, uh, what different closeouts are warranted based on those guys. And I thought this was one of the more clean performances when it came to that. And I think this team, when it comes down to it, goes as far as De'Aaron Fox takes them. And I thought that that was a good example of that because Domas is consistent. De'Aaron is a little bit more up and down, but I think there's higher highs that you can reach with him as well. And when you reach that point where, you know, the pissed off De'Aaron Fox, like Sean said, that, that guy was a monster on both ends of the floor and the way that he set the tone defensively. And I thought Harrison was great defensively as well. Those two guys, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, obviously on the other side, just totally set the tone, like winning a game because of your defense against an offense of that caliber was just huge for the Kings. I felt like, yeah, Brendan, I I totally agree. You know, I had never heard the stat before that the Clippers were the number one, uh, three-point shooting team and the Kings were last in three-point defense. I'd never heard that stat before. I'd, I don't know. That's not a stat that is out there that I've heard repeated. I do some deep dives. Yeah. 77 times on the bot, on the broadcast by, by someone that I have no idea. Um, so Sean is yeah, like, not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. Not sure cool. what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Okay. So Mike Brown has been harping on the, the three-point defense forever. I mean, it, especially it really became like a problem when they were coming back from their long road trip earlier in the month, uh, in the month of January, that's where it will like the last maybe 10 games up to that point had really become a huge issue. And on the road road trip, it even looked worse and worse and worse. But I think that they're, they're trying to turn a corner on that. And so over the last uh, handful of games, I, I think it, not only are they, they playing better defense, defending the three, you know what, Brennan, you said they held the Clippers to eight of 27 from three. So 29.6%. But I think a bigger thing for the Kings, it's not just that they're they're doing a better job of defending the three, but they're reducing the number of threes against them. So over their last four games, it's like 26, 25, 27. And then uh, the loss to Miami, they gave up 33s. But it, I think that that's a big part of this. It's not just that you're not l- allowing them to hit as many but your defense is strong enough that they're not able to even shoot as many. And to me, that's a way that the Kings can, can really take a huge step forward. I thought they were good in that game. Uh, again, I, I think the Clippers win is probably their most complete win of the season. I thought what they did to, um, to basically get the ball out of Kawhi Leonard's hands to double team him. The double team came quick. Uh, double team was solid the whole time forced Kawhi to get rid of it and you know Norman Powell beat you up a little bit from three but you're gonna against a team that has James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Kawhi Leonard and even Zubats that can score at the rim at will um I I think you did okay allowing Norman Powell to get some shots off Uh, so um if I'm gonna like rank them it's probably like the second or third best win of the season but then we get to the next day why do you think that this team has such a difficult time carrying over such a positive win 
to the next day where they play a Miami Heat team that, whether it's suspension or injury, are playing without like eight guys. And we're looking at a roster that's totally depleted, uh, a group that doesn't really have like any of their star level players outside of Bam Adebayo. But it didn't matter. The Kings find a way to lose a game against a beat up Heat team on the second night of a back to back. I, it's a weird one because there have been effort issues, and this is very on brand for the Kings. This one felt a little different to me. Like Miami's so unique. The, that zone defense they run the entire game, it's the second, I mean, both times this year now, it's completely thrown off the Kings' offense. They don't hit threes. They turn the ball over. De'Aaron had a season-high seven turnovers. Domas has four. And their ball movement and player movement just totally stops offensively. And all the players pointed to the defense in this game, and I get it. But that 19 points in the third quarter, I thought was just killer. And Miami's zone is really good. I, I do think they deserve credit. And on the other end, like the shots that Jaime Hawk has hit, I think you kind of live with. It's the Bam out of bio ones that I think were more tough, where he's just getting pe- past Monta Sabonis with one step. It feels like every time. And he hit some tough ones too. But coach said post game, like they were, the plan was to double Bam and that should have been better, but they were fine living with Jaime Hawkes in isolation. So I don't know. I, I do think there was some effort stuff, but. Is it just me or did the Miami one feel a little different than some of these other tough losses? It's not just you because I felt the same way. I I do see a lot of people reacting to this game as if it was a travesty and it goes into the, you know, kind of the category of the Charlotte, Charlotte, Memphis, sorry, Charlotte, Memphis and Detroit, if you will, all these, some of these, you know, clunkers uh, of the dreck of the league, but no, this is, this is completely different. And, uh, this is a team that has been playing well, uh, even when they are shorthanded. Um, and uh, they're kind of blossoming at the right time, I think, for them. Now, I will say, I didn't have, I really didn't have a problem with the way the Kings played. I thought two things stood out to me. One is because of that zone, I thought it really impacted the way they, they would like to have probably pushed the ball on the offensive end. Um, I think the way they collapsed the paint, uh, much like they did much like we've seen with some of these teams when they, when they disrupt Domas to me, it's a, it feels disruptive and it, and it absolutely has an impact on the way, what they do offensively. Now, that being said, as Domas pointed out, like they still, they still scored 110 points. So um, this is a team that probably should have done a lot more on uh, with on the defensive side. And that's where uh, Domas said this game was lost, but it really came down to, to, the third quarter is, as Brendan mentioned, I think it was 36, 19, but you turn around and you hold them to 20 in that fourth quarter. And and the thing that I, this is where I can understand the frustration because Fox deer and Fox kind of pushed back on this last night saying, well, Keegan hit some shot herder hit some shots and we go on this nine Oh run. All of a sudden we're playing better. And I would push back. No, because those, those shots came because of in very ramped up defense. I mean, you force turnovers, Keegan especially, Fox especially, um, creating these turnovers that led to offensive, uh, just great moments of offensive firepower. So, um, and and you almost had to play a perfect game the rest of the way. And you go down 20, and there's, look, there's, there's probably a freedom in that. We've seen that before where, you know, now you're playing with nothing to lose, and maybe the other team relaxes a bit. And certainly 
I felt Miami was making some really bonehead plays on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and the Kings took advantage. So their, their rally comes up short. Um, certainly, I think the way the game started, I mean, they forced I mean, seven turnovers for, for Deer and Fox and four more for Domas. Three of them came so early. And I just felt like the way they, they disrupt Domas kind of took some of the the flow out of the game for what the Kings wanted to do offensively. Keegan obviously was, was a big factor in like that first quarter. And then you didn't really see it again until the fourth quarter on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so, you know, second night of back to back, I'm not making excuses, but to me, I mean, that is what the heat do. I mean, whether it's three starters missing one through 17, like they, they go after and they get certain types of players. Not everyone can play in that environment. And I know there's so much that's talked about with heat culture, but that is a team that when at the end of the game, that, that game came down to coaching. And I thought Eric Spolstra proved why he was, in my opinion, the best coach in the league. I think it wasn't the best look on, uh, I mean, Mike Brown just got out coached in that game. I mean, no slight to him. Um, I, you know, you lose into a guy like Eric Spolstra. I think he absolutely, coached a mas- masterful game and he kept Mike Brown guessing. And I just think Mike Brown was a little bit too late to finally go to the zone of themselves in the fourth quarter. And uh, it, uh, they just got beat. And I think Fox was right. They just, they, they just got beat. They, they had a team that was sitting there waiting in Sacramento for him for two days, whether they're shorthanded or not. I just realized yesterday, Spolstra has never won a coach of the year, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's crazy. I know that's an it's embarrassment. Ridiculous. That's it's- an embarrassment. Yeah, so here's a couple of things I've got for you. Number one, I think like it's tough to play the Heat because they're the one, they're one of the few teams in the league that relies heavily on a zone, and their zone is very specific. And the Kings play them twice a year, and so you don't really get a whole lot of like time and energy spent on what they're doing. Secondly, when you do play them like this time. The Kings played them on the second night of a back-to-back. So that means that you get done with the Clippers game, you fly overnight, you get back in Sacramento, probably, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning, 1230. Not too late, but, you know, late enough by the time you get in bed, it's probably 2 o'clock in the morning. You get up the next morning, there is no shoot-around. That's the way a back-to-back works. There is no walk-through. There is, you have a scouting report, but it's not like every single player sits there and soaks over the, the, scouting report for for five hours straight and like they know the ins and outs so when you get on the court and they run something different that no one else in the league is running it takes you out of your stuff uh and so that's one thing i also think that the their focus to take away Domonis Sabonis and limit him to eight shots was brilliant like domas is is really the roadmap to the kings the fact that he's up his 21st triple double is crazy um but the fact that you were able to limit him to just 14 points was big. I did not think Domas played well defensively against Bam Adebayo. Uh, I don't think the team played well against Bam. They didn't double team fast enough. They waited for him to to get downhill way too often. Um, and then there were times where when they did double team, they always seemed to leave the wrong shooter. So they they left, as Brennan calls it, the hot guys. Um well, how Mike Brown calls it the hot yeah, guys. Yeah, well, relax. relax. Just, just, just throwing it out there, Brett. Just keep calling people hot guys. So I think that there's a lot that plays into it. And then lastly, uh, like Brendan and Sean, like Sean, I think you brought this up more than anyone else. The The fact that this is the heat culture is to go out and find guys 
who may not have the same skill level as a Keegan Murray or um, a De'Aaron Fox, but what they find are these gritty six foot six to six foot eight multifaceted multi-positional players that just beat the living tar out of you. They play the right way from start to finish and one through whatever, however many players they have, they all have the same exact culture built into them. And when you join the heat, it's, we had this all in thing last year with the Sacramento Kings, right? And this year it's connected. Like that's their big word is connectivity and we're connected. The heat don't have to say those words. The heat, it just is. They just, that's who they are. And a lot of that is because they do put a whole mission statement on their court, but you know, okay. Yeah. But they don't I have get your to, point. that's know, for right. other people to read Brendan. That's not for <laughs> right, them. Right. You're right. Because the second you sign your contract with them, it's it, you basically are walk through like, this is who we are. And if you're not going to play by our rules, you're out of here. And so the biggest thing for me is this is like my 14th season covering the team. Uh, Sean, you've covered him longer than I have. I've seen nine head coaches and you know, Mike Brown is the ninth head coach. Eric Spolstra in 16 years has been the head coach of the Miami heat the entire time. And uh, Pat Riley has been their, their president basketball of operations the entire time. And there's a con continuity and a way that you build a culture like this. And hopefully the Kings can get there, but they can't copy heat culture. They have to create their own culture. And Mike Brown talked about that last night. Yeah, you know it's wild too. Is like, you know, I know I know a lot of, a lot of guys over on that team. Um, you know, one of which I don't think you'd mind me mentioning is Rob Pimentel, who used to be the old Kings equipment manager back in the glory days here, and he's from Sacramento. Uh, lives in Miami now. He's the equipment manager for the for the Heat. He's been there since uh, since when LeBron got over there. I think that's when he made his jump. Um, or right before that, I, I'm not sure, but he was there know. for, I think my first season. And then he left, I think he left yeah. during the lockout. Right. And, 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 you know, he talks about it like year in, year out guys come in, I mean, they have so many undrafted players, even on their current roster. It's wild. It's like something like seven or eight undrafted play. Like, think about that. Like what other team can go out there and compete year in, year out and have that many, that many undrafted players. And, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, guys like Gabe Vincent, who came, who came rose up through Miami and now just got paid from the heat for the, for the Lakers. He hasn't been able to play yet because of injury, but uh, just, just wild. How many stories, success stories that come from the heat and they compete. That's what they do um, top to bottom. And, and some people might go, Oh, they, you know, you can say, you know, they keep the same head coach. They keep the same, Pat Riley, the the president, um, it's a Pat Riley system through and through, and ownership leaves him alone. And you might say, oh, oh you know, Mickey Arison is doesn't meddle. Nope, he's still involved in all the big decisions. He sit there, he's at every single practice and all that. He sits there. He's got his son who's a COO of the company, and he's right there. So, so things that other teams get bashed for still happen within the Heat organization, but it's all the same every single year, and it's. Look, it just speaks to a kind of a broader thing of how that organization is run. But at the end of the day, Eric Spolster does an amazing job. That team is always prepared. He doesn't give a damn who's playing. They all know what the task is, and certainly they're going to take their share of lumps. I mean, let's not kid anybody. They're like eighth in the West. We're talking about this team as if they're, you know, a championship contender, but uh, or eight in the East, I should say. But 
this team just brings a certain identity to them night in, night out. They have the same identity and every player has a buy-in. So that type of team, the way they compete is going to keep them relevant and they, they won't be the, 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 the Pistons or the Hornets. And, and if they are, they're not going to stay that way for very long just because of the way that team competes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's interesting, Sean, you bring up the undrafted thing. They had nine players play last night. Five of them were undrafted. I mean, Duncan Robinson, undrafted. Caleb Martin, undrafted. Like, a lot of their their success, even, you know, their stars, Jimmy Butler, who was the 30th pick in the draft. Um, you know, like some of their, Tyler Hero, like middle, mm-hmm. he's not even a lottery pick. Um, you know, that's kind of like who they are. It, they They find diamonds in the rough. They develop talent better than anybody. Um, Eric Spolster in his 16 seasons has two NBA championships, but he's also been to the finals four times outside of that. Uh, last last season, this team went into the playoffs as a play-in team. They lost the first game in the play-in and then won the second and then went to the Eastern Conference. Uh, went, uh, went to the, was it the finals? They did go to the finals. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's who this team is. They're gritty. They're powerful. They have a bunch of like universally like talented players that can play so many different positions and roles for them. And they have a system, they have a system in place. And man, Jaime Hawkes is just another version of everything else that they have. He just might be a better version of Caleb Martin or, or Highsmith or name that, 
you know, guy that they have on their roster that looks and feels like his game looks and feels the same way. Um, how do you replicate that? I, I don't know that you can, but, uh, but like, how do you, how do you find guys and bring them along like this where it seems like no one else can. And like, look, I, I think here's something I'll point out that like stuck in my head. Like the Kings, when I watched the Kings this entire season, like there's only one player that plays with like this type of intensity from start to finish every single game. And it's the same type of player. It's Keon Ellis where you're watching somebody who literally looks like he's fighting for his NBA life every moment that he's on the court. He's he's not taking anything for granted. He's out there playing as hard as he can from start to finish because he knows that, hey, there's like six other dudes here who are going to replace me if not. And I think there is something to like the self-made man and the guy who who fights his way out of nowhere to make it. And I think that the Heat just not only give an opportunity – but they they support it in a way that it can be successful. And I'm not sure how anyone else can do it because it doesn't seem like any other team in the league finds this type of success. Well, James, I think you asked Coach about it post game, and he pointed to the importance of having that continuity that they've had, whether that be the coaching staff or front office we just mentioned, but even players that will echo those same things. Like he talked about Udonis Haslam and the importance of him, and it can't be the same voice you know you need some guys that are echoing what the coaches are saying on the bench not just because they want to be bought in but because they actually believe and i think that you know a guy like javel or harrison um is kind of what stands out potentially with the sacramento group but you're you know that that's extremely hard to replicate and again i think the belief of 100 i think that this is the right way rather than I'm choosing to be all in is a big difference. And it's that honestly, the Kings haven't had enough success in my mind for players to just 1000%. We know this is going to work. Like you still probably have some second guesses here and there. And it, I mean, it's probably impossible to replicate. I can't think of another team that really does it, but it certainly is a process. And if we're talking about it with the Kings, like, Maybe Mike Brown is is that guy that obviously holds a sense of accountability. Um, and, you know, maybe Fox and Sabonis can kind of be those as well. But really, it would be a process. And Sacramento seems like they could be early on, at least in the right direction towards it. Yeah, I would agree. Like the process is is difficult because, you know, like I think the one guy that felt like he could have been this type of coach for the Kings we only got to see for like five minutes and that was Michael Malone, like during my time covering the team where you felt like, Oh wow, this is different. He's got the buy-in. You know, people always talk about the DeMarcus cousins buy-in from Michael Malone, but it was more than just cousins. And like the team was buying in, the team was winning. The team was playing really, really well. And then they, they let it, they got in their own way. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you need to, you need to give coaches time to develop some sort of culture and chemistry and, and a system that's repeatable, that, that makes sense that, you know, that basically you can start to get to the point where you can plug and play. And the Kings just haven't got to that point because that's what it looked like last night. Like it doesn't matter who is missing the guys who were coming in, they just got more opportunity than they normally get. I, I also like, 
the Kevin Love thing was crazy to watch. Like Kevin Love in the first half, my my partner it on the insiders, Kyle, texts me. He's like, Hey, Kevin looks Kevin Love looks washed. I said, Yeah, he's washed until he puts up nine points and seven rebounds on you and and helps win the game. Then we get to the third quarter. And what we saw there was like I, I it was almost like the epitome of heat culture where a guy who has been left for dead in most NBA circles shows up, understands he's got to play a bigger role that night and just stuck it to a team like he was 25 years old all over again and finishes with like 19 points, seven rebounds in 15 minutes. That's all he played. And I, like that was just like the epitome of heat culture. That was the one I had like a big issue with defensively for the Kings. Like post game, Mike Brown, part of the we don't want to double Jaime Hawkes is, well, we don't want to have to double three people. And we already felt like we had to double Bam. And then he said Kevin Love. And I'm like, well, that's the issue is that you have to double Kevin Love, which isn't necessarily on Mike. Part of it is, you know, you talk about Miami here. They go get guys that fit their system and their style of play. And the Kings just lack size and physicality. And the fact that you have to double Kevin Love at this point is not a good sign. I also like to add to that. I think that the Kings really, when they put Sabonis on Kevin Love, everything like calmed down and it was fine. It was when you had Kevin Love against a second year Keegan Murray and Kevin Love not only outweighs him by a bunch, but just has so much more experience and then just kept getting everybody in foul trouble. I thought that that was like wild. And, and, you know, good for Kevin Love because I don't know if you guys, like you could see the the joy of the game like coming out. Like he was just like exuberant coming off the court after he, he got somebody else in foul trouble again and an and one. Uh, like there, there was so, uh, like there was a moment there for Kevin Love. Like hat tip to him for having like a good, like he was really impactful and, and he felt it and he knew it. Like am I crazy? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I mean, I think people look, I mean, Kevin Love is still a professional player and he's had games like this this season. I think the the, the ironic part is you should have expected it. You know, you're depleted. He's going to play a bigger role in this game. And what's the recipe to disrupt the Kings size and athleticism? You knew he was going to uh, size and length more than athleticism, really. And even Kevin Love at 35 years old, you could argue he looks older than that. Um, keeps oh. his body ready. He keeps himself ready. You know, he's not, he's not, uh, you're not going to be able to expect that night in, night out. But this was a game where you're like, Kevin Love's going to be a factor in this game. And I think at the end of the year, that win over Sacramento is going to be one of those wins where you look back and go, this was a kind of a pinnacle win for them. Um, one that's certainly going to be, uh, in the in the highest I think one of their highest moments of the season and uh, they'll have plenty of them you know even though they're still trying to battle to stay out of the play in tournament in the east it's uh, it's it's again it, it's it's just a team that plays the right way and um, that's why you don't want to see a team like that in the playoffs because especially a coach like Spolster with the adjustments that can be made oh boy yeah he he just has a knack for for getting his players to do what he needs them to do. Like the, everyone falls lockstep really yeah. is impressive. Um, by the way, thoroughly, thoroughly amused by the suspended players and Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jovic and uh, Thomas Bryant 
hanging out at McCoonie's last night to watch the game. That was <laughs> McCoonie's on 16th. Yeah. Oh, were awesome. they? Yeah. I didn't yeah. see any and of that. And they're just cheering on, their, cheering on their team from afar. Well, just a few blocks down the road. A few blocks down the road. Yeah. Um, that was bizarre. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm really surprised Alvarado didn't get more than three games. Like, I, I'm not sure what he was thinking, but, like, he, like, hang out there on the sidelines, like, low-key, like he's about to go stand in the corner and steal a pass. And then instead of stealing a pass, he, like, ran over and started punching Thomas Bryant. You're like, what is happening? Why are you punching somebody? It was, yeah. like, the whole thing was wild. Um, Let's get to, uh, let's just get to the overall feel. I, I mean, the Kings, I thought they played really well against Phoenix right before the break but lost uh, in a tough battle. I thought they played spectacular. Well, I mean, they had no legs, but they fought, they persevered. They couldn't hit a shot, but they come out with a win on the second night of a back-to-back in Denver. They didn't blow away the San Antonio Spurs, but at the same time, like, look, that's the first game coming out of the all-star break. Demonte Sabonis was questionable literally up until like, until the, the box, I mean, the uh, starting lineup came out. I mean, I was waiting in the tunnel and I asked him at 6.15, hey, are you playing or not? He's like, I don't know, it's up to them. Um, and then he goes out and plays. So, like, that whole entire day seemed a little off. Uh, then we have the the Clippers win. We have the the battle against the, the Miami Heat where you let them off the hook and then almost come back. But this team seems to be turning a corner a little bit. Uh, what do you guys kind of where are you at with them and and what are your expectations for like the final what is it now 25 games that are left i don't know if i can go ahead go ahead brandon i still think it's really the main same things like i need defensive consistency from this group and mike always says as close to 48 minutes as possible i'm down to lower the number like as close to 40 as possible i just need (laughs) more than half the game you know three quarters and that I think a lot of, again, I think Aaron Fox setting the tone is big there. I think that Harrison Barnes has been solid. And, and I think Kevin Herter has been pretty good on both ends of the floor recently as well. I am more so encouraged by the way they get up and compete with the big teams than maybe concerned with playing down to the level of some of these opponents. Um, but it obviously does factor. I mean, I, I think, for me, it's just, can you clean up this three-point defense as the year continues? And I need to see De'Aaron Fox stay in form too. He's looked great post-All-Star break. Looks like he needed that break or at least benefited from it. And like I said earlier, I think the team goes as far as he takes them. So for me, really, it's three-point defense. And can can De'Aaron keep it rolling? Yeah, I think it's a it, the, the, the way you asked the question, I do like the way they're playing, even though they're 5-5 five and five over the last 10. Um, I, I like the fact that they've shown a willingness to compete. They've, they've, as Brennan mentioned, they've ratcheted it up a little bit. And I think the break was helpful. How long can they can sustain that? Will they have to, you know, kind of tinker again? Will they have to kind of, I think that, that that's just part of the evolution of a season that'll happen. But um, will they look to make any other changes? I think right now is probably the most stable that the roster and rotation has been. Um you don't really, you're not really dealing with too many significant Um, Obviously, Fox went knee to knee with Jaime Hawkins last night. He stayed in the game, you know, went, played through it. He was limping a little bit, but obviously played through it. Saw him after the game, 
he had his typical old man walk. <laughs> uh, he said he's fine when James asked him. Um, but something to monitor, right? I mean, Domas gets beat up, and obviously Sasha's out with an ankle still. Um, this team is available, though, and I think that's going to remain the expectation that that this team will, will have the blessing of health. I think that this team is capable of staying out of the play-in tournament with the remaining games. I know a half game separates fifth through eighth right now, um, but I do feel by virtue of them being largely a fifth, sixth team in the West for the large part of the season, uh, I feel like that's kind of what they are. And even with them, it's going to take that that ratcheting up on the defensive end especially for them to hold that spot in the fifth or sixth spot in the West because other teams are coming for them. You know, uh, you, you've seen what the, what the Suns have been been doing. They're kind of tinkering with being a hot team again. I think the, the Warriors are playing probably their best stretch here of the season. And there are moments where even though, you know, the Warriors can lose to the Nuggets that they can still go out there and show like they're a team that, that can battle in the West. So, um, I like what I've seen from the Pelicans at times. Sometimes they look like a different team altogether. Um, so I think when if you're really watching and paying attention to some of these other teams in the West, um, it, it, it's it's an interesting stretch. You know, Lakers have won seven of three uh, or seven of ten. Uh, the, the Warriors have won eight of ten. Uh, the Pelicans seven of ten. So everyone's like winning in the West right now. And those are those teams where I think the Kings, are, if they ratchet it up, they can still maintain and they can still keep that that foothold on five and six in the West. I, I do like what I've seen coming out of the break, though, and I think everyone's got the right mindset. I just wonder, does a three-game losing streak potentially disrupt things and take them out of that headspace? That's a good question because the uh, next two games are Denver Nuggets, who they're 3-0 and on against on the season and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Timberwolves are one and one. They're one of the few teams to beat Minnesota and Minnesota this season. But even like when you do get a break, uh, I am I mistaken? Do they play? Is it Sunday, Monday? They have a back to back in Minnesota and then back home for the bulls the next night. That seems like an extreme turnaround. No, is that right? I know they play. Monday oh, no, no, I'm wrong. No, it's they have Wednesday, the Friday. Off. Oh, they do have yeah. the weekend off. Yeah, they're yeah, going to yeah. have the weekend so it's Monday. off. Yeah. Okay, so that makes me feel better. Um, yeah, we get to the month month of March, and the schedule turns a little bit. You got what is it, eleven games in the month of March at home? Um, you know, so this team has made played more road games than any team in the league right now, and they've got a couple more coming uh, before they start settling in and playing a bunch of home games. I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, we talked to, you mentioned Sasha there. I'm not sure Sasha is going to play the rest of the season. We'll have to see how it goes, but let's just be honest. It, like they said four to six weeks before they'd reevaluate, but it's a grade three ankle sprain, 28 years old. I'm sure he's had other ankle issues before. Um, even like this season, he had, he rolled both of his ankles the weeks before that. There's a possibility that, you know, Sasha is like a, like it's usually an eight to 12 week injury for a grade three sprain. And by the time he gets back, there's just not much left. Um, but Mike is kind of pared down what he's doing right now. And for the most part, I kind of feel like it's a six man team. Like Trey Lyles on occasion has had some good games. Davion Mitchell hit a couple of nice shots against the Clippers, but overall those guys have, have kind of faded to the backdrop. Even this last, uh, the game against Miami, you're playing on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. 
you really could use your some of your role players to step forward. Monk ends up with eight points. I think Trey Lyles had five points and Davion Mitchell had two. They end up with like 17 points off the bench. Demonis Sabonis has to play 40 minutes after playing 37 the night before. And you're starting to see this team kind of separate itself into like the starters and Malik Monk. And then one or two other guys, maybe three counting Chris Duarte that are playing somewhat. Is there a point where I know this is, it sounds really strange to ask, but like, you watch Miami play without a bunch of dudes. And it seems like they've had to do that a couple of times this season already, but other teams that have to play without some of their starters. And sometimes it, it allows someone to elevate their game and to become something more than what they were before. And by staying healthy the whole season and having the same like six, seven, eight guys playing the rotation, it almost feels like with this Kings team that there is, they're kind of stagnant in who they are and there is no other way to improve. It's either they've got it that night and they're hitting their threes or they don't have it. And there is no other way to go to the bench and find another guy like Kevin Love who can come out of nowhere and, and put up 19 and seven. Do you guys get what I'm saying? It's like, I, I know like being healthy is a good thing, but being healthy also kind of has lent itself to some stagnant play within the, the core group of players. Go ahead, Sean. I don't, I don't, I, don't <laughs> I think you did that because you're going to agree with what I said. I don't know that I completely follow um, because are you saying that you think, I mean, you just kind of know what this Kings team is. You don't think that there's a secret um, rotational method that they could make to make them better. They are what they are defensively, even if they do improve a little bit. Um, they can't sustain maybe an effort like that they did with the Clippers for an entire 20-game stretch. I mean, what are you, you kind of getting at? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe all of that. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, we know who they're, they're starting – Five is, it's the same starting five that played almost the entire season last year and has played almost every game this year. We know that Malik Monk is your number one guy off the bench. We know that Trey Lyles is pretty much your number two. And Davion Mitchell is back to being the third, the number three guy. But there isn't anything else really hiding on the bench there. If anything, most of the players that are left are specialty players and, and almost like specialty defensive players, right? So you got your Keon Ellis's of the world. You get your... Kessler Edwards or, or Colby Jones or uh, Alex Len or, or JaVale McGee. Like there isn't a wild card hiding in there. It doesn't feel like, and, and I'm not sure like if this group right here, if they needed somebody to step up and become something different off the bench to help them get over the hump in a game. I don't know. I mean, maybe Chris Duarte could go for 12 points, 14 points, but I don't feel like there's anyone else there that can really do anything other than what they're doing right now. I'll well, say I, I can take it if you want. Uh, I'll say I think that Sacramento's like free flowing offense puts a lot of responsibility on guys to be smart and quick with their decisions. And I don't think that's easy for everybody. Like, I think Miami, you look at their defense yesterday, um, like not that the zone is easy to learn in the press and everything, but you can get guys to do that. A lot of that is effort. Um, and then offensively, they're running a lot of isolation. Like it's easy to plug and play guys into that. And I think Sacramento's system is a little bit more difficult for that. And, you know, you could also knock that maybe like a guy like Chris Duarte, you could question that acquisition then because if he's not a quick decision maker, is he a great fit in this offense? 
Um, and so there are questions there, but I, I think that you know what you're getting from Fox and Sabonis most nights. And I feel like of the four remaining, really, Kevin, Keegan, Harrison, and Malik, you need like 40 from them, you know, at least, at least. And it's a night where, to me, Malik should be the third most consistent guy there or the guy that I feel like I would feel most comfortable relying with. And he has a eight point performance, four of 10 on a night that you probably really could have used his, his playmaking and some of his dynamic, uh, dynamic ability, 16 games this year, he shot uh single digit points and the Kings are six and 10. Like after Fox and Savonis, you don't know who is going to be able to produce. And I think Sacramento's free flowing offense doesn't necessarily it, it makes it so it relies on everybody. And I think that that can be a little bit tough sometimes with the responsibilities that these guys have. Yeah, I would put that and number you, closer to 70 that you need from those guys. Yeah, it's probably higher, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, if it, you it, factor 50-ish from Sabonis and Fox, this team's given up 120 every night. Yeah. So you need... <laughs> right. If, if they're the only guys playing. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, well, I mean... It's interesting because like like what you mentioned about Monk is things I, I harp on that all the time. Like they have a hard time winning when he's not a factor. And especially when he's turning the ball over. Um the the I, seeing a different player or two with bulk minutes w- would be interesting. I don't know, you know, consistently, who knows? But to James's point, I think you have the best version of your team as currently constructed. Um you, you they've already tapped into that. Like they already know what they're they're solid grouping is and yeah maybe uh, some curiosity about you know maybe colby jones or chris duarte and what it might look like with various different pieces and i would even group sasha into that as well um certainly i think there could be moments of you know solid play but also there'd be some growing pains along the way as well so you have to take that with it that's part of it i don't think there's any there's no perfect solution this team as it's constructed is not a perfect solution so um I, I think through 57 games or whatever it is now, you just know what this team is. And it's the same basic team that they were last year. And that's what they were betting on. Get them in a playoff series and they could be a really tough out. And I think that they will be. Um, but I, I also have a confidence in them. I mean, if you take a step back and look at this, it's like, you know, yeah, they've won three of four right now. And it, it's and during the stretch and even a, the road stretch, um, the, their long road trip. I mean, they've shown moments where they have played some of their best basketball of the season. So I think it's coming in at the right time. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious how they can sustain it and, and, and see if they can continue some of the defensive improvements that you've seen. The focal point from the perimeter defense, as Brennan mentioned earlier, um, these are the question marks. But by and large, like, the, the the postseason can't come quick enough really i feel like for them it's it's getting to the can hopefully hold on to it for their sake and hopefully not too many stumbles along the way i think this team is just really like if they could start the postseason right now i think they'd be thrilled to do so i also think that trey is like a comfortable seven for me and not to say like obviously it's a decent gap between seven and eight but like i feel pretty good about trey lyle's minutes Last night to close the game, and maybe it's partially because HB is not playing great, but you're going with Trey over HB. And sure, you'd like to have probably a better option, but I think that Trey plays really hard. He plays physical while he's out there. I think he's gotten really good since coming to Sacramento and making those quick decisions. And 
sure defensively like i i mean i guess that's where the issue come he has five fouls yesterday for example but teams will try to get him in switches but i don't feel like he gets destroyed and i kind of think this small ball five might be a little bit of an x factor going into the postseason and the rest of his regular season yeah i don't disagree with that i like i think trey lyles is right there but i, I think the biggest point that i would make with trey is you know, first of all, he's shooting the ball incredibly this season. He's shooting 40% from three, uh, 45.8% from the field. But we're talking about a guy who, at, at this point in the season, he's only at 7.3 points. And there could be a game where Trey can get you 16. Uh, there might even be a game where he goes for 20. But we haven't seen that at all this season, like where he's taken that big of a leap in production. And I think that they're, it's just kind of an issue with this team. Like they are who they are, right? I think we can all, yeah, we I mean, can all kind of get them. You only have what, 25 games remaining? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think there's too many unanswered questions really about this team. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, so I'm going to hit, we'll, we'll have this be the business of basketball. Da-na-na, they... da-na-na. I almost ESPN. forgot. <laughs> I thought you wanted me to go back to that. What's your other no. one? James works <laughs> at ESPN. Why can't I do that? The... Is that better? <laughs> I don't know if it's better, but at least it's well, original. pick one. God. <laughs> James works for ESPN. I love this what? moment. What? I love this moment. <laughs> okay, I- I'm going to ask like another, I don't know, slightly complicated question. If this is who they are, and we're not sure if they can finish the season outside of the outside of the plan. If they we we're not sure if they're going to be a, a a five seed, a six seed, a seven seed, an eight seed, a nine seed, a ten seed. At what point do you, as a franchise, shift gears a little bit here and make sure that you know exactly who Keegan Murray is and that you're you're giving him the last boost here? to set him up for who he's going to be next year because he can solve a lot of questions, but you still haven't got to the point where he's consistent and that he's bringing the, he's having the same offensive responsibilities and the same, he's taking the same leap forward. I get the defensive end. He's taken a huge step forward, but for this team to be really, really good in the future, King Murray needs to average 18 to 20 something points a game. And I think we can all see that. And you you watch him play last night where he throws in 28. He could have scored 40. They, his teammates just didn't focus on him. They they went away from him. 
Uh, he was great in the first quarter. He's great in the in the fourth quarter, and that's how he got to 28. But if this is who you are, and we can all say, okay, maybe they make it to the second round, shouldn't the focus become how do we get Keegan Murray to a point where he is our third best player? How, how do we focus on him? How do we make sure that he's getting as many touches as possible in the second half of the season in the final 25 games? Because if it's not about what's going to happen this year, it's about what's going to happen the year after that and the year after that. We need this kid to be that guy. So you guys understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. but I don't understand. Okay, like I don't think that they have to – like if you have to do something special for Keegan Murray, then he ain't it. He's already doing, in my opinion – like I think they set him up with the brilliant game plan for him to succeed. I think what he's done defensively has been great. He plays with Demonis Sabonis. Demonis Sabonis is going to get you the ball. De'Aaron Fox is going to get you the ball. Um, it's up to him to be that guy. I don't think there's anything that the coaching staff can do more to make him be a better version of himself. So that's you don't that's think probably that the, the coaching thing. staff could could work to get him four extra shots a game. No, not really. Not in the not in the equal opportunity offense that they that they run. Uh, I think it. I think it comes down to him to recognize the, the opportunity to take the shots. But again, like he's putting so much in on the defensive end right now that you could argue, sure, maybe he's a little bit more passive than he should be. Um, he's going to keep, like Brendan mentioned a minute ago, the split second decision-making that this team has to do on the offensive end um, might prove more of a challenge for him because he wants to be that good teammate. He wants to recognize that he's being a good defender. And you see games like last night where you have a great start to the first quarter. You don't really do anything in the second and third. And then all of a sudden you come alive in the fourth, but you do so as a result of your, your fantastic defense that you're playing. Um, I just to answer your question though, I there's that part where I don't think the team has to necessarily do more to create Keegan Murray opportunities. I would also say um, they should definitely not get to a point where you're looking at, well, this season is, is what it is. Our attention now is all on board to make Keegan Murray better. Because again, if you have to do something like that, then that ain't the guy, you know, it, your team is not built that way to all of a sudden hit this big pause button or reset button or whatever you want to call it to all of a sudden put all the attention on one focal person. It's just not the way this team is manufactured. I get what you're saying. You want him to be this type of scoring player to really accelerate their success and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but my 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 argument would be, you don't. I think Keegan Murray has had ample opportunity to be that person, and I'm not trying to like hammer Keegan Murray as a result. Like I'm not saying like it's his fault or anything. I think this team has done a plethora of things to be able to put him in that in that light and have him be that guy to take advantage of his playing time and maximize it and be an offensive juggernaut improve defensively and be the type of player that they want to see from him two, three years down the line. I don't know if there's a better way to accelerate the process uh, than they already have. I hmm. think that point about the equal opportunity offense is like maybe the biggest one to me in this. And there's just pros and cons to it. I, I think that part of why they run it is for the postseason, obviously. And it just, you're unpredictable. Like, I remember Kevin Hurley, Kevin Herter early last year being like, if we don't know what they're doing, then they don't know what we're doing. And it's because it's all read and react. It's not right. set black and white. 
And there's value in that. But at the same time, if a guy is going, that doesn't necessarily make it simple for him to just get the ball back next possession and, and get an opportunity to go to work. So I think it's what we saw throughout the course of this year of HB's aggressive for a stretch and then uh, Keegan's aggressive for a stretch. And there's a lot of times this year, I wish De'Aaron Fox would be a little bit more aggressive rather than resorting to some of this free flowing offense. So I think there's pros and cons, but I do think it makes it tough to go get a guy a couple more shots. And I'm not saying that you can't go away from that. I think they could benefit from doing that sometimes. Um, but really, I think this entire season has been that process for Keegan that we've seen him again, the step defensively, but offensively, I do think he's take he's trying to do a lot more off the dribble, whether that just be one or two dribbles in a mid range look or a, a tough fadeaway, like we've seen little, you know, Chris Middleton flashes here and there. He took a couple, I, I thought off the dribble stuff yesterday so I, I still think those flashes are there and it's just you know it's early in the process and I, I do agree with Sean that like I don't think that you have to cater to Keegan like that for him to get better hmm okay yeah I, I mean I, yeah I mean I think I do uh, like to be honest with you I, I think when Keegan is rolling um the Kings are a better team and you know we talked about let's just look at the Miami game. Like as an example, you talked about how good they were in the first quarter, how good they were in the, in the fourth quarter. Those were the two quarters where Keegan Murray scored 25 points combined. Like, I just think that like, we're to a point where like, we understand who this team is and, and the team should understand who they are. Like, like they're a potential first round playoff team. They're also a team that could lose in the play in and be out. They, they could also, maybe make it to the second round, but I don't think that you're putting them in any contender discussion. And if you want this team to be a contender in the future, the easiest path to get to that is through Keegan Murray. And, you know, we talk about equal opportunity offense. It's really not an equal opportunity offense. De'Aaron Fox is second in the NBA in field goal attempts per game. It It's De'Aaron Fox and then an equal opportunity offense. I think De'Aaron goes and gets his, though. You know. Well, I I agree, but I also like there's so many. The only one on the he's the only one in that roster outside of Malik Monk that will go and get his. Yeah. No, I I get it. I mean, I just think it's an interesting question because for me, you know, it's about a long-term development of the team and the squad, like, and, and the easiest way to the path of least resistance forward for this team to to take another level. And that to level up and become a much better team in the future is through Keegan Murray's development. I do wonder, however, I do wonder though, to that point, like we're talking about Keegan Murray being the scoring player. And I think he is a scoring player, but you want him to see you. You're hoping to see him be a 17, 18, 19 points per game type of thing. But I think what I would, I don't see how that makes you better, especially when you play defense, the way you have largely for, the 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 entire the entire season like we're seeing some flashes we're seeing moments of you know trying to just become a an average defensive team and again in a league where nobody's really playing defense i i get all that but like what what does that look like if this roster is constructed the same and it won't be but next year okay and keegan murray is that that type of scorer uh, maybe it's maybe it's better just to say it for this year Let's throw that question away. 
let's say that the Keegan Murray is more of an 18 points per game scorer. Okay. That's clearly going to come at the expense of somebody else. So okay. what is, what does that look like in terms of, I don't see how him being that type of scorer on this team right now makes them that much better going into the playoffs. I well, would say if he was consistently doing it, there'd yeah, be a I difference guess, because yeah. the guys he's taking it from are the inconsistent ones in my mind. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I, I think that's my point. Like, this should not be about, like, how much better are they going to be this season going into the playoff? I, I mean, all honesty, like, this team is not a championship contender. Right. And the only way to get to that status in the future, well, the, the quickest way is for him to become a better player. And the other I, players around him, I, I'm not sure that it that it matters. Like Fox right, and Sabonis, yeah, that matters. But outside of that, like this team is is going to be built around three or four if they can retain Malik Monk, three or four players in the future. And I want to make sure that one of those players is up to the level of the others. Let me ask. Let me ask you guys this. Okay, we're, we're going to cut the season off right now. Let's just say pandemic happens again and. We're oh, not going to have Christ. a regular season. Yeah, knock on wood. Sorry. Damn it, uh, Sean. We're not going to have. We're not going to have a postseason. If the season were to end today and nobody was crowned champion, <laughs> um, would you consider this season a success for Keegan Murray? Did he take the right step forward? Would Would this be a better season than his rookie season? Easily, in my mind. I'm going to say he took a step forward defensively that we didn't see and we didn't know was possible. But offensively, it hasn't been there enough. It hasn't been consistent enough. He hasn't been given the opportunity for it to be enough. Like 12 shots a game is not what I think, like where the path forward for him is. It's like, I want, I want to know that he can be my second or third best scorer. And I don't know that today. And, And I mean, on a, on a contending team. I don't mean on, you know, a team that an equal opportunity. You're equal opportunity because you have to be. Does that make okay. sense? So Brendan, Brendan and I are on the same page. James has a variation of it. If let me ask you this then. If you who would you fault that with? Is that Keegan's fault? Is that Mike Brown's fault? Is that the system's fault? What would you fault that with then? Well, I, I don't know if there's a fault, but that doesn't mean that like going forward that there can't be that you can't put a concerted effort into having him take that step in the final 25 games, because the final 25 games of Keegan Murray's development might be more important than any other outcome that you have, whether it be like somehow making it to the second round or somehow making it into the playoffs. And I would, I would argue that the 25 games be damned seeing him in a, in a, in a postseason atmosphere again, an environment like that would be more beneficial. It'd be opinion. beneficial for sure, but I would yeah. like to know that he can be like a, a number two option, and and if the Aaron Fox is out, he can be a number one option. Like that's that's where you're you're heading with him. You know, that's you know you want to compare him yeah, to who, who sure. do you want to compare him to? Like if you want to compare him to Middleton, that's fine. But uh, you need someone that can step up in that in that role. So I don't know. It's in, it's an interesting discussion. So 
Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here before we get to final thoughts. Um, we did have a, a moment with uh, why am I drawing a blank? Um, who is Mason Jones? Mason Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the locker room last night, Sean. I thought it was really interesting to hear Mason Jones talk. Uh, he's a player who has been in the NBA before. He's a player that is getting a lot of fanfare in Sacramento, even the fact, despite the fact that he's never stepped on the floor and played for the Kings. Um, he did get a technical. He he's given up more points this season than he has scored. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just he has, a neg- he has a negative plus minus in zero minutes. Yes, it's which zero is, minutes. Which is, which is wild because knowing that and hearing his head coach saying that Mason Jones has won them a game. Is just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. It's a good story. He's a good kid. I thought, like, I, I didn't really have like an interview. Like, I, I didn't really feel like I needed to interview him. Um, but I get that. Like, clearly, Jason Anderson was writing a story about it, and because you do so much television work, Sean, that that can be a nice little side story, the Mason Jones story, right? Right. Yeah, so, and here's the thing. I, I wanted to do it pregame away from practice yeah. because I didn't want to waste everyone's time talking to Mason Jones when there's like more relevant players at the time to talk, use the practice time to talk to. Of and course. Using using that pregame time was great. And yeah, it's 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 it, it was it was neat because there's a lot of storylines that kind of involve him. You talked about the technical, uh, you talk about obviously his energy that his coaches talked about, Mike Brown talking about winning games, Mike Brown offering to pay the technical fine even trey lyle's offering to do the same um this is a guy who i always like to talk about like there's no analytic for chemistry and yet this guy can come out and have such a positive impact on his team he's salivating to play but he knows that even if the opportunity doesn't come this is the role that he has carved out for himself and what's wild to me i don't know if you guys have noticed this like his energy isn't just going out there and touching everybody and dapping them up and showing respects and being that ultimate hype man. It's wild to see him in the ear of Mike Brown all the time. Like the two of them will literally have conversations where it reminds me of like, let's take a real world situation of like you being at a job and you're, you're, you're Mike Brown. You're the, you're the captain of the ship or whatever. And you've got the, the last guy you need to talk to and making sure that he's on the same page. Like, Hey man, give me a moment. Let me talk to my team. And and Mike Brown doesn't do that. At least from, you know, from, from far away where we sit and we watch, um, it, it, he seems to give him the time and show him, you know, things he's talking about and keeping everybody engaged. And, you know, again, no analytic for chemistry. And he's been able to check that box really well in his journey and talking about what he was able to do overseas and learn, uh, to kind of check his ego a little bit from coming in from Arkansas and being a different player and the time overseas kind of shaping him as a human being and him at 25 years old, uh, getting another shot at this, making the most of the opportunity in the G league. Now he's got a two way contract with the Kings. It happened quickly. And we even got to talk about why he bleaches the hair, which is an homage to European soccer and Manchester United is his, his team. So yeah, it was kind of fun. Yeah, I thought he was interesting. I, I didn't ask any questions. I, I was just kind of like, hey, I, I recorded it just so I could listen back and make sure I, I caught the finer points. But he he's very clear that he said he got a little too full of himself and it got a little bit of a, he had some success and he let that success get to his head. And, um, and then that success went away. 
and he ended up in Europe and like finding himself and finding like realizing that he had been a bad teammate was kind of like jarring to him, but he found that in Europe and like, Oh my gosh, this is what I should have been. I should have been a better teammate like this. And like that new approach that he's bringing back to Sacramento, I think is, it's really cool. Like he is like an infectious personality. And um, I, you know, I'd like to see him play a little bit and see if he can actually play the game. But, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that like, this is a, a interesting route. He also, he played AAU ball uh, with in the same area as De'Aaron Fox. So they've known each other forever. And then he played with the Lakers uh, with Malik Monk. And so like, he's got ties to players on this team all over the place. Plus I'm sure the Arkansas connection with Malik Monk as well. Um, Malik Monk, how many times did he drop an F-bomb like yelling across the room? Maybe like four times. That's yeah. right. It's Malik. It is Malik. It I, is Brendan, Malik. I don't know if you caught this. It was funny. People think that, you know, he's got this energy off the bench, but even last night after the loss and, you know, he's, he's coming in to get, head toward the shower area and he did what like every kid does at home. I don't know what that frame, that door frame that goes around a door, but you go up and you like dunk against it. He just goes up and does the same thing as he's like heading into the showers. It's like, yep, that energy carries off the floor as well. Oh That's yeah, awesome. JaVale and him messing around a bunch post game. Yeah, he was great energy after the loss too. Yeah, yeah, In- interesting, interesting situation. Uh, let's get to final thoughts. I've actually I have one today, uh, but let's oh. get to uh, let's get Is to final jury? thoughts. Uh, no, actually, I like I got something real. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about. Okay. Uh, and it's not sad. It's not sad. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who wants to start. I got this. I got this. I. Listened to yesterday. Oh, the Paul George just had Marcus Cousins oh. on his podcast, and yeah. it was very good. Audio a little choppy because they're at live on location at actually like a punch bowl in Indiana or something. Um, but it was great. He talks about getting traded from SAC, um, kind of that process, learning about um himself in the narrative surrounding him, I guess, is what we'll go with. But I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And I will say, I thought that Draymond Green going on the Jeff Teague podcast was amazing. I listened to both of those the last two days and loved both of them. Hmm. All right, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think I need new internet because I missed uh, his last thought there. What did you say you saw in the last couple of days? Also, what was it? Uh, also, Draymond went on Jeff Teague's pod. And oh, okay. that is very funny because they just clown on him for all the ridiculous things he's done this year. <laughs> huh? That's fantastic. All I right. didn't know Jeff Teague had his own podcast. Oh, it's so um, overall. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, and how about Jeff Teague? Yeah. And how about that too? Like when he was in Indiana, DeMarcus did something that I didn't think I would see at least so soon. And it, it, you could argue it hasn't been so soon. Do you know what that was? He went to a brunch, Sacramento Kings brunch. He took a picture with Vivek Rondive. Oh, he was yeah. invited to the brunch and took pictures yeah. with Vivek and and Brad Miller. Yeah, yeah and he, I, like I mean, he talked it. about. Yeah, he talked about how uh, in that. I, I believe it was that same podcast. I haven't heard it all, but I saw the comments making the rounds about you know kind of being at peace that the NBA is now behind him, and even I wouldn't have said that, <laughs> you know, like thinking that there's still possibly uh, a guy of his talents being able to get an opportunity. I just don't know that I, I it's, it's, it's good to see him have that kind of peace, if you will, because some people can be um, very bothered 
by their their journey and the way it ends up and you know it, it if you can get to a level of comfort and peace that you know it's over for me well then good for him what's on to the next horizon and and, and on to the next journey and see what happens so uh wish him all the best hmm. yeah me too like i i every time i see him it's still like it, it's good to see him it, it you know big hug yeah always uh yeah he's he's a, a good dude off the court at least part of the time I, there was that time where he i drove all the way down to his basketball camp and he wouldn't let me in the door because he was mad at me for something i wrote that happens <laughs> But, um, yeah, <laughs> good old Demarcus. Uh, the thing I want to bring up, uh, and I'm going to be really quick with this, but I'm also going to be like slightly, maybe I'll be slightly cryptic, but very direct. Uh, this weird thing happened the other night where, um, 1140 sports, what is it you guys call yourselves, Brennan? Sacktown Sports. Oh. Sacktown Sports. Oh, we're going to have some radio, radio war here. Is oh, this what's going on happen? here? Absolutely not. Uh, oh, okay. Where Sacktown Sports put out a a story about the Golden State Warriors. This is and it it got like crazy where everybody is attacking uh, their Twitter handle. And I got to be honest with you, I don't get it. Um, I, I just want to like whether we compete or we don't compete, whatever it is that eleven forty and and thirteen twenty are. I will say this, 1140 has been the one business in Sacramento over the last couple of years who are hiring writers at all that are bringing in and actually paying for the craft to get better and to keep your daily reading alive. No one else is. The Sacramento Bee is down to one dude. NBC sends somebody that we just we just had Tristy here for a couple of games. Uh, but outside of that, Tristy, right? There yeah. we go. Uh, yeah, Tristy. We haven't, they haven't been here for months. No one else is covering this team from a writing perspective. And if people think that the Golden State Warriors aren't relevant in Sacramento, you probably shouldn't have your franchise take 16 year hiatus where they were bad and this team down the street won four championships. So I am all in support of 1140 on the writing side, making their money any way that they can, because to be honest with you, they're the only ones putting it back out there and bringing in writers like our friend Brendan here and our friend Frankie and their 49ers guy and these other guys. So just want to, I want to put my two cents out there. I think it's BS stay off their back. There are so many Warriors fans in Sacramento. And if they can get some people in there that are helping pay for the writers that they're supporting in our community, then so be it. Uh, whether they're the home of the Kings or not, I to me, that doesn't matter. They're they're a major writing source at this point in Sacramento because nobody else is. So that's my two cents. I wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. No, I, I, that's pretty good. It, it was a little niche. I get like, you know, it was about Warriors birthdays and stuff, and I get it, but I promise you people read the Warrior stuff. There's not a, a there's a reason that warrior stuff gets written and uh yeah i get it i thought it was a little funny how blown out of you don't have to got. you don't have to say anything brendan and get all yourself in trouble all I got. I, I, yeah all i got did you write is, it you nope. wrote it nope no no no, no, no I all just, i got to say is like look that's the world we live in yeah that's that's the world we live in for well, i mean someone to jump I mean, on that and like have that go viral and be like an attack point. Wild. come on people 
Like again, they've got to make their money somewhere, and like, and, and they're they're putting it all back into what they're doing out there. So, hey, we, uh, we show uh, on the Fox Forty side, uh, we're showing Warriors every single night that they're on. It it doesn't matter. It's a it's a you're an extension kind of that Bay Area Big Brother. We show Giants, we show A's, we show we even show the Raiders still because there's so many Raider fans still in our viewing area, and they live in Vegas now. You know, there's still so many Raider fans throughout the Sacramento region. And, you know, when you have, you have to understand, man, I used to work for that radio station. That's a 50,000 watt flamethrower that goes into the Bay Area, that penetrates the Bay Area market. And the website um, shouldn't be any different because you write an article and it doesn't just go to Sacramento. It doesn't just go to the 50,000 watt coverage area. It goes everywhere. So Sean said penetration. So we got to go. Oh, darn it. Yeah. Thanks for tuning into the the King's Beat podcast, uh, brought to you by Prize Picks, and of course we are a Blue Wire podcast. Uh, we will be back very soon. We're not going to take another hiatus. We're going to actually have podcasts regularly all the way through the rest of the season. I'm demanding it. That's the way it works. Uh, so <laughs> live show. Uh, yeah. I uh, <laughs> if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody. Uh, shout out to Tony who came over to me and Brendan who says he listens to uh, the podcast every single time it comes out in China in the middle of the night. And wow. then he's super Tony. tired at work and everyone's like, why are you so tired? He's like, cause I was listening to my King stuff. So shout out to him. Um, and that's going to do it for this edition of the King's beat podcast. So for box 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunes from the King's Post podcast. I'm Jane Cam King's insider for ESPN 1320, the King's beat. See you very soon.